Hi, this is Alana Terry, and you are listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. I'm really glad you joined us for Season 4. We are streaming daily chapters from full-length Christian fiction audiobooks just for you. And the sponsor for this season of the Unabridged Podcast is Blessing on the Run, which is also the audiobook you're going to listen to. So if you would like to listen to the entire audiobook at once, you can go to alanaterry.com slash blessing to get your free audiobook copy, or you can tune in right now for today's chapter of Blessing on the Run. Chapter 13 So that went about as well as I expected. Mom's gotten up to make more coffee, except she's only using that as an excuse to go into the other room, so it's not as obvious to all that she's crying. Dad was so mad when I told him that Jared had shown up again and was making threats against me, not to mention the nice little reveal about him being Tyson's father, that he started using his more colorful swear alternatives, which are usually reserved for skinheads, child molesters, and communists. Drisclay is the only one who keeps his cool, not that I could picture him being phased by anything or anyone. He's on his little radio now, telling his men to look into the lead. Thankfully, he hasn't yelled at me for not calling the cops the second Jarrett showed up at my work. Maybe that's coming, or maybe he understands just a little bit what I've gone through. As for me, I've given up all hope that this is some sort of game of Christmas morning hide-and-seek. It's not even a domestic dispute between me and Damien. No, this is a kidnapping, pure and simple. Jared's way of getting back at me for everything I've done. For refusing to give him the security schedule at my bank. For ignoring his threats when he ordered me to help him and his buddy with that job of theirs— for everything that happened years ago when I let the cops into the house and then testified against him, even though my confession incriminated us both. There are so many reasons for him to extract his revenge. Even the fact that I've moved on with my life, that I'm with someone else, or at least I was until last night. Mom's still dabbing her eyes, but she's sitting down at the table again. Dad takes her hand in his left and mine in his right. This gesture is so familiar to me, so ingrained in my upbringing, that I bow my head without thinking about it. Before I close my eyes, I see my mom reach out to take Drisclay's hand, but he makes a noisy show of clearing his throat and scooting back his chair to get himself more coffee. While the detective fills up the childish snowman mug, Dad begins to pray for my son. Silent tears slide down my cheeks, and wordless fears pour out of my heart, where all I can do is hope they find audience in the throne room of heaven. Chapter 14 I swear, if this detective asks me one more question about Jared, I'm going to scream— So far, he's wanted to know if in the past two weeks Jared's hit me, if he's had any contact with my son, if he's mentioned details for his plans at my bank, or if I've slept with him. 
I have to laugh at this last question, as if... Then again, it was years after I walked away from Jared that I ended up pregnant with Tyson, so maybe the detective's question isn't quite as ridiculous as it sounds. I was 27 when he got out of prison the first time, 27, but still making a lot of childish mistakes. I hadn't been able to kick the drug habit yet, hard as I tried, and my track record made it basically impossible to get any sort of legitimate job. I was starving, homeless, and dying for my next fix when Jared found me. I was stupid and naive. I wanted to believe he was the savior coming to rescue me from my life on the streets. Plus, he had a regular supplier and plenty of cash, which feels an awful lot like love when you're as dependent as I was. Getting pregnant with Tyson made me desperate enough to leave him, this time for good. Even so, that would have been nothing but a single good intention among hundreds if Mom and Dad hadn't managed to find me the one rehab program in the country that could help me. I'd tried so many things by then, and even today I don't know what it was about Sacred Meadows that made it work when everything else failed. By the time Tyson was born, I was clean. Have been ever since. True story. And if that's not a testimony for you, I don't know what is. Things might have been harder, except that Sacred Meadows was way out there on the West Coast, and Jared had no idea where I'd gone. He didn't even know I was pregnant with his child when I left. I moved back east so Mom could help once Tyson was born, and by then Jared had been arrested again. And now I'm sitting next to my parents, hating the fact that I've just told them who Tyson's real dad is. For a minute, I'm afraid that once we do find my son, they're never going to see him the same way anymore. But that's ridiculous. For all the things you could fault them for, being unloving wouldn't even make the list. Tyson's genes aren't his fault, but I'm afraid that this will somehow complicate the case, which is what I've asked the detective. He's not listed on the birth certificate, Driscoll asks. I shake my head. You ever get a paternity test? No. Are you sure it's his? Driscoll acts like we're talking about a lost jacket or lunchbox and not my flesh and blood son who is missing. There wasn't anyone else at the time. Talk about an awkward conversation to have in front of your parents on Christmas morning. Is that going to make things trickier? I ask. Legally, I mean. Driscoll takes another noisy sip of black coffee and shakes his head. Since there's no record, paternity would take time to prove, and since he hasn't ever been involved in the child's care, there isn't any legal ground for him to stand on. I let out my breath. At least there's some good news in this nightmare of a day. Does he know the child's his? I actually have no idea how to answer this question. Jared can do simple math. All he's got to do is ask my son when his birthday is. I can't believe that right now, right as we speak, Tyson might be with him. After all I've done to try to protect him from his genetics, from the curse of his parental heritage, was that all for nothing? And what's Jared want with him anyway? 
Driscoll's talked about setting up our phones so that if Jared demands some sort of ransom, they can trace the call. But I'm not so convinced that blackmail's the goal. With someone like Jared, revenge is just as likely, which means my son might already be... No, I'm not going to think like that. It's Christmas, the time for miracles. If there really is a God, and of course I know that there is... He would never be cruel enough to let something so terrible happen to my son. It would be impossible. I think back to my parents' prayers around the table just a few minutes ago, to the faith and conviction in their voices as they praised God for all of his blessings, even with my son missing. I might not be a role model for young believers or junk like that, but I guarantee you will never meet more devoted Christians than my mom and dad, which means that God is going to answer their prayers, keep my son safe, and bring him home to me. Or so help me, I swear I'll kill whoever's hurt him. Chapter 15 There's a knock on the door. I'm so startled I literally jump in my seat and stare at the detective who's frowning at my mom. I should get that, she says, half as a question and half as a statement, but she still doesn't move. Whoever's here opens the door himself. For some reason I worry that it's Jared with a gun about to blow us all away. When I see the detective reach for his sidearm, I realize that maybe my imagination isn't overreacting. Blessing, you there? My mom jumps out of her chair at Damien's voice and rushes down the hall to give my boyfriend-slash-fiancé-slash-ex-boyfriend a hug. Are you all right? she asks, as if we were talking about his kidnapped son and not mine. Damien works his way past her until he's standing in front of me. What's going on? The police came. They said Tyson's missing. Have you found him yet? Hearing the worry in Damien's voice makes me ashamed that anyone might have suspected him of kidnapping my boy. He's still missing. I can't believe those words are really coming out of my mouth. Can't believe they're true. It's going to be okay. He sounds so certain, so confident. Or maybe I'm just desperate enough that I have to believe him. He gives me a hug that assures me our argument last night is forgotten, and then his voice goes hard. Is it that guy? Have you told them about him yet? He nods at the detective. They're looking into it. Now more than ever I want to throw myself against his chest and forget that any of this is real. Mom's tugging on my dad's shirt sleeve. Come on, she says. Let's give the kids a little privacy. I'm sure they have a lot to talk about. Dad frowns, but gets up. We'll be in the bedroom if you need us. Mom straightens her hair and adjusts her bathrobe. The detective clears his throat and heads into the kitchen for more coffee. Damien looks at me with a pained expression I doubt I'll ever forget. I'm sorry. There are so many things he could mean by that, as in... I'm sorry that your son's been kidnapped. I'm sorry that I embarrassed you last night by telling your parents and everyone else you were pregnant. I'm sorry that I didn't run after you when you left home so mad. He gives me another hug. 
I'm so sorry, he repeats, and I know him well enough to understand that he's apologizing for all these things at once. Chapter 16 You've never witnessed a quieter Christmas lunch than we are having right now. True story. The detectives left, following up with the men he sent to hunt for Jared. Damien's still here, and since we've made up after our fight last night, we have very little to say to each other. Mom keeps making half-hearted attempts to lighten the mood, which really just adds to how depressing this whole meal feels. She clears her throat. I'm surprised these buns didn't go stale overnight. I forgot to seal the bag. Silence. A few minutes later, you know, I don't usually add sour cream to the green beans like this, but I think I'll do that from now on. Nothing. Dad's expression doesn't give a hint as to what he's thinking. Is he still trying to figure out how I could have stooped low enough to hook up again with Jared after he got out of jail that first time? Is he mad at me that I never told him who Tyson's father was? And what does Damien make of all this? Once he realized the sort of drama I'd invited into my life, what kind of baggage I'm still carrying around from my past, however unwillingly, you'd think he'd be the first one out the door. But I know that's not the case. It's funny. Back before last night, before we got engaged, I wondered what kind of stepdad Damien would be. Now I realize that he's acted like Tyson's father for years now. It was dumb for me to be worried about something like that. Dumb to take Damien for granted for so long. The fact that we've made up should be great news, except it's obviously overshadowed by everything else that's going on. If Jared's trying to get back at me, what's going to stop him from hurting my son? Mom makes a far too chipper comment about how the ham leftovers are even better than they were last night, but her observation is met only by the sound of scraping forks. She clears her throat. Maybe we should pray again. I expect Damien to bristle beside me. He's never liked how into God my family is. Says it makes him uncomfortable, like they're shoving religion down his throat. But he's the first to say what a good idea that is and bows his head. In true Lindgren family tradition, we all hold hands, and Dad starts off our time of prayer. Lord, great God and Heavenly Father, we give you praise for little Tyson for what an energetic, smart, and capable young boy he is. We give you praise for the fact that you love him so much you sent your son to die on the cross to forgive all of his sins, and we know that your love is strong enough to reach him even now. So wherever he is, Lord, we pray that Tyson's soul would be kept safe and sound in your care. We pray that his spirit will be protected from all fear, that his mind would be delivered from worries. We know that on our own we have no right to ask you for anything, but your word tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ, that everything which belongs to you has been granted unto us. All your good promises in Scripture are yes and amen in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
I feel movement to my left and am surprised at the way Damien is nodding his head in fervent agreement. I keep my half-opened eyes on my fiancé while Dad continues. And so, dear Lord, almighty King of the Universe, we lift Tyson up to you. We surrender his sweet little spirit to you. We ask, God, that you look upon us now, that you see us and know our troubles. Here we are, Lord. It's Christmas Day. But instead of rejoicing in the fact that you sent Jesus down to earth to be born and eventually become the atonement for our sins, our minds are racked with worry. We confess our anxieties to you, Lord, each and every one, but we declare that we have not received a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear. We confess that these burdens are far too heavy for us to bear alone, yet you are the one who proclaims in your holy word that your load is easy and your burden is light. It's in your word you tell us to cast our cares upon you because you care so deeply for us. So that's just what we're doing. We take our fears and our burdens and our uncertainties and set them at the foot of your cross in hopes that they'll be a pleasing and acceptable offering to you. We can't shoulder them on our own strength. Damien squeezes my hand. I look over and see the tears streaking down his cheeks. I lay my head against his chest and listen to the sound of his breaking heart. Dad's voice is powerful. He always booms when he talks, but something changes when he's praying or preaching. It's hard to explain, but it's been happening ever since I met him. His voice continues to swell with faith and conviction. We ask you to remind us that not even a sparrow falls to the ground, apart from your will. We ask you to remind us that there is no place we can run from your presence, no place where your spirit cannot minister to us. You know exactly where Tyson is, you know exactly what he needs right now, and we come before you with humility, but also with great boldness, knowing that through the blood of Christ shed on his cross, we can approach your throne of grace with great confidence and full assurance. Damien is weeping openly now. Mom is too. When my own tears threaten to fall, I'm powerless to stop them. Only Dad's dry-eyed, and his voice is full of even more confidence. And so, Lord, we come before you now, and... I'm not listening any more. I'm not paying attention to my dad's heartfelt prayer. I am twelve years old, nothing but a child, and Jared is telling me how much he loves me, how much he wants to be with me, how this terrifying pregnancy won't be enough to separate us from our love for one another. Alana Terry here. I hope you enjoyed today's installment of Blessing on the Run. Please don't forget that you can listen to the entire audiobook of Blessing on the Run when you purchase it from Audible 
or wherever it is that you like to listen to digital audiobooks, or you can go to alanaterry.com blessing to download your free copy. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.